The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for April 15th, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you in Austin, Texas. This is going to represent our tax day episode. Yes, it is not due until next Monday, but for many people, either you have filed your taxes, you are thinking about your taxes, or you are about to file your taxes. And so later in this episode, we are going to be joined by Andrew Heaton, one of our one of our favorites. And we are going to talk not only about tax anxiety, <laughs> tax emotions, tax philosophy, and we'll even get into a little bit of real politics as to whether or not we will ever see tax reform, and if so, what it would be. We're also going to talk about inflation. Inflation is real, my friends, and it hit its worst year-over-year increase in March. However, in the very crevices of that very Consumer Price Index report, there are some bright spots? Three question marks? They're at least not total darkness. We will evaluate them and we'll and we'll see whether or not there's something that the Biden administration should actually celebrate or maybe just thank the Lord that there is a moment of respite in the unrelenting beating that they are taking when it comes to inflation. I'm also going to bring you a very interesting story, one that I can't remember a comp for and neither can some of the reporters that are covering it. There is a congressman. Who has a day job? Not one of these nominal, like, oh, I also am a a, a doctor or a lawyer or something, but they're like not practicing. No, this dude actually works. He is a commercial airline pilot. And there's a lot of questions as to exactly whether or not that is appropriate and how much he's actually working. Because by the way, He hasn't voted in person in Washington, D.C. for over three months. We will not only bring you all of that story, but also some justification as to why he's even taking this risk. Before we start with any of this, though, I want to bring you uh, uh, this little follow up on something that we did on Wednesday's show where we talked about Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire, one of the embattled. Democrats in the Senate, who, by the way, is polling better than a few others. One of those others is uh, uh, Mark Kelly. So as Maggie Hassan went down to the border, despite the fact that she's representing New Hampshire, you had to imagine that some of the folks who are representing cities closer to the border, like Mark Kelly in Arizona, uh, would do the same. 
Well, we've got some news on that. But first, I'm going to play you an ad that Mark Kelly released. And I want you to go ahead, just like that Raphael Warnock ad we played a few weeks ago, go ahead and try to find what's missing in this ad. Compared to Congress, the way NASA operates might seem kind of upside down. Putting the mission first, working as a team, and getting the job done no matter what. But really, isn't it Washington that has things upside down? I'm doing things differently. I don't take a dime of corporate PAC money. I publish my schedule online so you know exactly what I'm working on. And I put aside the party politics so we can accomplish results together. I'm Mark Kelly, and I approve this message. Yep. No mention of Joe Biden. No mention of any other prominent Democrat. No real mention of the Democratic Party. In fact, at the end, when he says that I work hard to find solutions for everybody, bipartisan flashes on the screen. I'm telling you, uh, uh, as somebody who watches these ads and takes them not as you know, a, 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 an exact prescription for what they want everybody to believe, but certainly a sign of what the internal self-confidence of a campaign is. That's a pretty interesting one. But first... The Consumer Price Index is out for March, and it's bad. So bad that the Biden administration is blaming Putin. A lot of it has to do with Vladimir Putin. The reality is that Russia is one of the three largest oil producers in the world. And the fact that they have started this conflict, invaded a foreign country, and they are such a big producer of oil in the world, is the reason why the global oil markets are disturbed right now and why your gas prices are going up. You know, I wonder at what point there just became this philosophy within the Democratic Party uh, uh, where there's just like a red box and a sign above it that says, when in trouble, break glass for excuse. And it's just Russia behind it. But the glass isn't there anymore because it's been shattered so many times. And granted, look, uh, uh, the fact that Vladimir Putin has initiated an, an, an invasion in a sovereign nation in Ukraine certainly gives them a lot more cover to you know blame their farts on the dog compared to, let's say, during the 2016 election. So the reason that Jen Psaki, White House press secretary and soon-to-be MSNBC host, is doing social media videos about this very subject is because the Biden administration is doing their best to get ahead of a very, 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 very bad news situation for them. Inflation continues to surge. Real quick reminder on why inflation matters. Inflation matters because every single time that you spend money and you remember that it is more than it used to be, you want to blame somebody. The person that you tend to blame is in the White House or a member of the party for which the the president is uh, uh, representing. So this is a constant pain point. This isn't a philosophical thing. This is a pebble in your shoe. And the further you walk with it, the worse it gets. How bad? 
Well, according to the CPI, inflation rose 8.5% year on year in March, the highest since 1981. Despite the fact that the economy otherwise is doing good, we have very low unemployment and wages continue to go up. Inflation has outpaced these gains, representing less take-home pay for folks who have gotten better jobs and money, not to mention those of us who haven't. The economy is, poll after poll, the number one issue on voters' minds. And Republicans, by the way, have wasted no time pinning the rise in prices on the Biden administration. But in my opinion, that's good practice politically for them, but it's not necessarily needed. No one likes leadership if the money is screwed up. And right now, the money's screwed up. But wait a minute. I'm not just here to dump a load of horse poop on the Biden administration like so many tumbling logs onto Biff Tannen at the end of Back to the Future. No. I've got some bright spots in this new report. I mean, bright, 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 maybe a little bright, uh, dim, dimmer than the brighter that you would want to be. I don't know why I'm Jerry Lewis. All of a sudden, bright, maybe, bright in quotes, bright in scare quotes. Now, while food and gas prices remained extraordinarily high in March, the core inflation number, which is everything else but those items, food and gas, did begin to slow for the first time. Now, not recede, and these are year-on-year numbers, by the way, not recede, they haven't gone back down, they just didn't explode as fast as they had the month before. You might be saying in your head, Justin, this is a piss-poor example of good news, and I would agree. But in these trying times for the Biden administration, you know you take what you can get. There is also one technical, if a bit dystopian, piece of good news for the White House, and that is that inflationary prices have spiked for about a year now. Which means that since the CPI numbers that tended that that tend to get reported and covered the most are the year on year increases, that we're probably going to see lower numbers than we're seeing right now from here on out, only because the increases have already been high a year ago. It's been growing for a year. So you're not going to see headlines like, Uh, uh, This is the largest inflationary spike since the Reagan administration because it's gone on for so long. So, like, yes, everyone's still going to be mad because prices are really high, but the headlines will look better. Hopefully. I mean, if they don't, we're really screwed. So those are look, you can work with those. I guess if you're the Biden administration, but one way or another, look, there's a reason why I I keep playing these ads from Kelly and, and Warnock is because they are getting their ass kicked on the number one issue that their voters care about. That's brutal for them. 
brutal. So that's the reason why Mark Kelly is going to remind you that he's an astronaut. <laughs> and not that like, since Mark Kelly's been in the Senate, he's been the staunch warrior for Joe Biden. It's the reason why he's going to say bipartisan and not Democrat. Because he wants to trade on the fact that his positives right now are that he is looked at as a nice guy and he is willing to cross the aisle. Now, not Kirsten Cinema willing to cross the aisle, which makes you wonder about the idea that she's going to get primaried. But right now, the guy who's trying to save his job desperately, short of the NASA thing, is running an ad that Kirsten Cinema might run. Makes you think, IMO. So here's a fun story for a Friday. Kai Kaheli is one of the two congressional representatives in the House of Representatives from Hawaii. He took Tulsi Gabbard's seat when she left Congress. You know, as far as national elected representatives go, it's a pretty sweet gig when you think about it. Be a D.C. muckety-muck part of the year, and then when you have to go press the flesh with the folks back home, you get to do it in Hawaii. Here is Kai recognizing Hawaiian Language Month on the floor of Congress. Aloha, Mr. Speaker. I rise this morning to honor Mahina Olelo Hawaii, or Hawaiian Language Month. Colleagues, I have the wonderful privilege of being Native Hawaiian. My culture has served as a guiding light throughout my entire life, a light that has survived because of the many kupuna, our elders, who protected this light and who protected our native indigenous language. For Native Hawaiians and so many other indigenous peoples, our language is essential for our people to live and thrive. I play you him speaking in Congress because he hadn't been there in a while. Kai has been voting by proxy for the last few months. Now, this in and of itself isn't wrong. You're allowed to do it. This came with some of the changes with COVID. And part of that time that he has been out is pretty curious. He's been doing a day job, flying planes for Hawaiian Airlines. Wait, what? Congressmen have day jobs? Yes. This dude flies A33, A330s, A30, A330s. I don't know the exact way to say it. I, I ain't exactly a plane head. He does it for Hawaiian Airlines. According to his official bio, he flies both domestic and international. So he's obviously not keeping it hidden. It's in his bio. What's the problem then? Well, the reason you don't hear Congress folk having day jobs is because there is a cap on how much they are allowed to make from side gigs. Specifically, it's around $29,000. Beyond that, you have to get it cleared by the House Ethics Committee. And after Punchbowl News chased this story down, the representative's office provided, or sorry, proved that they did indeed have such a waiver. Quote Punchbowl's reporting. Late Tuesday evening, Kaheli's office sent us an email exchange between Christine Wagner, Kaheli's chief of staff, and Tom Russ, staff director of the Ethics Committee. 
The two recounted a conversation Kaheli had with ethics staffers in December 2020 before Kaheli was sworn in, where ethics committee staff suggested it would be okay for him to continue to fly for Hawaiian. Company officials were involved in one conversations with ethics officials and Kaheli. Okay, so seems a bit unorthodox, but still a little weird. And here's another reason why it's weird. Kaheli is on the aviation panel of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, which oversees the airline industry for the federal government, for which he is an employee of both. In fact, he has co-sponsored bills that are officially lobbied for by his employer, Hawaiian Airlines. Now, here's what Kaheli's spokesperson told Punchbowl. Quote, there are also misleading reports concerning Congressman Kaheli's outside nerd income as a commercial pilot. The congressman's outside employment is in accordance with rules set by the U.S. House Ethics Committee. In uh, 2022, all members of the U.S. House, including Congressman Kaheli, are limited to earning $29,895 or less from all outside earned income sources. In uh, 2022, Congressman Kaheli has flown three flights for a total of 14.2 flying hours and has earned $2,861.90. In 2021, the congressman's outside earned income was $29,151.79. The congressman brings a unique perspective to the TNI committee as a current and qualified U.S. commercial air transport pilot and strengthens the voices of all pilots, cabins, crew, and air cargo operators at home in Hawaii and throughout the United States. Okay, so we know that they are very, very focused on the idea that he has not made more money than the ethics cap says he should, and they seem to dance around the idea that maybe it's a conflict of interest for him to draw a paycheck from a private company and a, you know, while he is co-sponsoring legislation that these that the same company has has lobbied for but it makes you wonder why even try you know it'd be one thing if he were secretly serving on a uh, on a board or having a bunch of money put into a trust because he is representing the interest of of one thing or another but this does seem to just kind of be the highest end version of a work a day gig is being a pilot super therapeutic for him. Is he just really excited about all the destinations that Hawaii airlines can serve? Well, I did a little digging. One of the most loyal listeners to this show is a fine man by the name of just another pilot. And guess what? He's just another pilot. So I asked him, a few pilot questions about this. Here's what he came back to me with. First things first, if you are a pilot, then the biggest thing that matters to you is seniority. Whether or not you're in a union, pilots choose an airline that they are going to fly with and they keep doing it forever. This is not like any other gig, like like in, in, in the tech industry, people go 
from Uber to Apple to their own startup, back to uh, Amazon. Like people switch jobs constantly because uh, you don't lose any status. In fact, you can be greatly rewarded by going from one company to another. And ultimately, uh, 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 even more rewarded if you flirt with going to another company. Not so in the airline game. The second that you leave one company for another, all of your seniority's gone. And the way it was described to me is it basically puts a bullet in the head of your career. So if you are somebody that likes being a congressman, but also doesn't want to bet his entire existence on, uh, uh, you know, this this gig where you can get kicked out every two years, then maybe you do want to keep the lights on for your career piloting the, the, the skyways. So let's say that's the plan. You want to just put your career as a pilot on the back burner, but you don't want to quit and you don't want to change airlines. Well, what do you do? Here's what just another pilot said. Wide body guys, which is what the uh, this pilot, uh, what, what, what Congressman Kaheli is, might fly 12 hours and there are three uh, or four pilots per flight. They land once. Each pilot needs three landings in 90 days to keep your certification. So if you're only flying two trips a month, that's four opportunities for guys to land or four, depending on the contract. Uh, sorry, four opportunities to land for three guys. So if a guy is flying two a month, he's getting one landing a month. And in 90 days, he'll get his three landings. If a pilot, uh, sorry, that, that, so that is what he said. And by the way, let's go back to his response. Uh, the the uh, Kaheli's spokesman response says he's flown three flights in total for 14.2 flying hours. So he obviously is not doing the the most of uh, uh, those or the longest of those routes, but still, he took three flights, and we don't know whether or not he was allowed to land for all three or one or how many more he has planned going forward. So, what happens if a pilot doesn't land three times in ninety days? Now, the company can still choose to keep them on. But if they want to get back in the air, they'll have to go through a flight simulator, which can cost the airline up to $10,000. Although, if you're Hawaiian Airlines, considering this dude is a congressman who can help pass laws that benefit you, maybe that is indeed a worthwhile expense. This is a fun story. Something that I really hope to keep a, a, a bit of an eye on. And also, man. Anybody who's challenging for his seat, what amazing commercials you could put together for this. If you would like to support this show, head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I'm out in Ohio. Next weekend, we're chasing down Mandel. We're chasing down Gibbons. We are gonna get some vibe checks for this primary season, this midterm primary season. And I'm only doing 
any of it because of you. You. You, the listener. First things first. If you do not have the scratch to support us monetarily, I understand it. If you could just do me a favor and on the podcatcher of your choice this week, head on over there and and give us a rating. You have no idea how much it helps. That's social proof. And and periodically we have to just make a push on it because I I don't want to hit you with the same like and subscribe every single week because I think people, you know, it just gets a little droney. But. I do want you guys to understand that that having new and and a volume of ratings really does matter uh, uh, on on you know in this very weird podcasting game where there is no discoverability. Second, if you would like to support us with a financial uh, donation. The best place to do it is TakePoliticsSeriously.com because that's where you get bonus content. That's where you're going to get the Thursday show. That's where you're going to get the Sunday show. Both of those, this upcoming week, will have stuff live from Ohio. So there. (laughs) Uh, Everybody, just just understand. That is, uh, 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 you're going to get really, really, really good access. So head on over there now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Bonus content starts at the $3 level. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much to everybody who has already done. I don't know about you guys, but money is very weird to me. I, I, uh, I'm not great with it. My family didn't have a ton of it. Uh, I, I tend to get startled when I, I, I see it accumulate and I get mad when I see it go. And so therefore taxes have been something that have been a bit of a bugaboo for me. And with tax season upon us and tax day coming up on Monday, I felt I needed to talk to somebody that I know, somebody that's a good friend. And so we welcome the one, the only, the host from the political orphanage, Andrew Heaton. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. I am delighted to be here. We are recording this first thing in the morning for me. You've probably already eaten lunch. Uh, But for me, this is first thing in the morning. And what a great way to kick off my day by talking about taxes with my good friend, Justin Robert Young. Have you done your taxes yet? I have not done my taxes yet. Uh, I I don't want to reveal too much of the Heaton financial portfolio, but I own like 2% of a duplex in some county named after an amphibian in eastern Oklahoma. It's like it's it literally makes enough money to pay for the taxes on the duplex. But the the uh, papers always come to me sometime in June. So it, it's just enough oh. that I always have to fill out all this additional stuff. So I've not I've not done anything yet. I found out this morning that my wife believed that tax day was in March and we had just been late for the entire time that we filed joint taxes. <laughs> that's great. No, that's the equivalent. Like, like sometimes a spouse will uh, be like, honey, we have to leave at 8 p.m. We have yeah. to leave at 8 p.m. Knowing that we're going to leave at 8.30, but we really have to leave at 9 p.m. So you've got that going with tax filing of, of like, we're already pretty behind. I got to get that K-1 from you. 
Yeah, basic. I mean, like, I guess also it's because she's far more responsible than I am. And and she, you know, had always filed her taxes when she was single uh, uh, in March mm-hmm. and just assumed that it was in March. But we have we have odd, although you're only a few years into the 10, the full 1099 doing your own uh, uh, taxes. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm three right? years into this. And what I've learned is that. Uh, I can legally and ethically write off quite a lot of my income as a Mm self-employed individual, but that comes around and it bites you on the other end because when I try to get a mortgage for a house, the bank's like, oh, you're poor. And I'm like, I'm not poor. I'm thinking like a Koch brother and writing off all of this stuff. But they're like, yeah, we're we're looking at your your income though. And I'm like, mm, okay, look, I'm not saying – I'm not saying I wrote off stuff I shouldn't have written off. What I'm saying is I'm very good at identifying things related to my job that I might have otherwise already done. For instance, like if I'm traveling to another city uh, and I'm going to do shows there, that's a tax deductible expense. But now the plane flight's tax deductible. I get a per diem for the week I'm gone, all these things, but uh, nothing. So anyway, for anybody that's mad at me for writing off a significant amount of my taxes, know that I cannot purchase a house, which is the single greatest vehicle for wealth (laughs) accumulation in the United States. I am locked in as a permanent renter. Uh, uh, has have you found that to be a stressful thing? Because I I found, and I've been doing the 1099 thing for for quite a while, even while I was uh, a a W two employee for for a brief period uh, for about five six years. I still was making a, a significant amount of money on you know the the podcasting stuff that I always wound up owing. I, I don't think I can remember the last time that I got a a, a refund, but that is definitely a jarring a, a a jarring moment when you go from tax day being that time I get a lump sum of money to that time that I need to write a check that I was never. You you might be financially prepared for it. You are never emotionally prepared to write well, the checks on. that you need to write as a 1099 person. What what do you do? Because what, what I do is I just take um, like 20% of all of my Patreon checks and I put them in uh, like a tax account on on uh, with my bank so that I've got a big ch- – and then I also at the beginning of the year just – give a bunch of money to the IRS so that I'm not that surprised when the, the bill comes around. Do, do you, I assume you're setting money aside as the year progresses, right? Because that would be terrifying to get that bill at the end. I don't want to deal with that because I'm, I am not that responsible. No, I'm uh, you, you might f- be be financially more uh, closer to a Coke brother. I, I am more financially like a Coke dealer in that I just uh-huh. hope to have the pile of money when I need to start uh, uh, moving it around. I, I've gotten better. I, 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 the financial planning is not a natural strong suit of mine, but I have gotten better at squirreling away money away from yeah. myself. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. See, uh, that's that's but, the trick. But also, for- but also here's here's the other problem, though, is I also have mint which tracks all of my money. And so I see a big number in mint, but like that takes away the uh. point of, of squirreling it away from myself because I keep seeing it. So what, what I, what I've done, my, both my finances and my health are both contingent on me being an idiot with poor willpower. All of the, all like, that's why I don't keep liquor in the home. Cause I'll drink it way too fast. That's why I don't keep yeah. ice cream in my house. Cause I'll eat it. Cause I'm a moron. Uh, I, I buy a lot of fruit so when I get that craving, I go, I'll eat the mango first, then I'll get the ice cream. And then I'm done with it. And I'm like, ah, I'm just going to go to sleep. And with with finances, I got Capital One years ago. They let you have all these sub accounts. And I have it just automatically deduct things in there. So like, here, here's a good example. It puts away like $20 a month for 
Valentine's Day or whatever, because I realized when I lived in New York that Valentine's Day would come around. I'm going to end up paying for it, but I don't know who the woman is yet most of the time. Yeah. And then I could tell at the back of my mind, I was kind of pissed off because I'm like, this is a pretty goddamn expensive. But if I've already got like $200 sitting there. I'm not mad or anything, right? Like you, you're not just only, waiting. Yeah, yeah. Not only do you get a free meal with Andrew Heaton, he's not going to resent it for you if you don't put out. How great's that? Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and I've got like the same thing with my taxes. I just I think it's like I, I've got an estimated twenty percent of every uh, Patreon thing that goes into that. Uh, and then and then this is where I get really devious. I have an old account. Um, that I kept that's unrelated to my current account. Uh, and that's where my actual savings are because I can't remember the password to it. Uh, I, I know I can access ah. it if I want to, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. And it's just irritating enough that I never go into it. So I, I'm never tempted to go, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit behind on the credit card this month. I'll just pull money from over there. No, I have to panic every month to pay off my credit card, but I don't end up touching the the savings, which are currently being eaten away by inflation. Thanks, Uncle Sam. <laughs> So uh, uh, have you filed for a, a an, an extension as as the deadline uh, approaches here? This is our tax day episode. Uh, by the time the episode comes out, I hope to God I will have. Uh, I believe I believe uh, the filing extension is due like the 18th or the 19th this year. Um, so I will do that uh, at this time of recording here shortly. Although uh, in Oklahoma, where I own that 2% of a duplex in Jowles County, um, uh, Oklahoma automatically files an extension if you file a federal extension and Texas okay. has no income tax. So I just have to file the federal one and then I should be good. I I have to say that there, you know, I made it, I got my, my word back because I, we hire a tax guy and, and he's a very nice man, but this time he, he, for the first time he said, are you ready for the number? And then he gave a pregnant pause and then said, it's a big one. And then told me the number and uh, the, the, the joke I made to our friend Brian and, and Andrew Maine mm-hmm. uh, uh, was just a gif of me like uh, on a, a big fun river day last summer. So shirtless, two thumbs up, slowly morphing into Rush Limbaugh. Like that, that's what, that's what getting that number made me, made me feel like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I have a bit of a complicated, uh, a complicated uh, feeling about taxes. Cause on one sure. hand, look, you made the money. That's good. Right. You, you, mm-hmm. You know, that that this is something that my wife and I are doing financially well enough that we can pay it. But oh boy, it just wow! Like like when when you because when you grow up, you have these relationships with numbers. Like I remember in the game of life, the highest amount of money that that you could earn was a hundred thousand dollars. Like in in that version that I remember. Right. So I've always pinned in my head: if you yeah. make a hundred thousand dollars a year. You're doing the best in the in in, in the game of life, uh, mm-hmm. at, at least in the board game of of life, and and you know, boy, as those as that tax number approaches closer and closer to those higher uh, 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 yearly incomes in the game of life, I, I I feel a certain way about it, Heaton. I'm telling you, you know, you know, it's I, I was talking to a guy about this last night here in Austin, uh, and he pointed out to me, I, I think the numbers are correct on this, although I've not scoped them out for myself that. Um, there is this electoral shift that happens demographically for a significant amount of Americans somewhere between the age of like 28 and 35, uh, where like it's everybody leaving high school is a progressive Democrat. 
And then right about the time they get a mortgage and start paying taxes, they become a lot more skeptical of the idea of just tax people to buy stuff from the government. And, and I'm like, yeah, that that tracks. I, I get that. Like the like the equation always changes when you've got skin in the game, right? Yes. Like uh, uh, you might maybe sometime you should have on my friend Maxim Lott. He runs uh, electionbettingodds.com. I know we've talked about that. And like they're different than polls because when you ask people who's going the primary, they're like, ah, Bernie Sanders or Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush. And like, do you want to put $8 on that? They're like, no, no, I don't want to do no. that. Like, if you're putting $8 on it, what are you going to do? Oh, yeah, uh, uh, Joe Biden, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and and you see, I mean, like, uh, uh, St. Milton Friedman, peace be upon him, talked about how, uh, you know, there's a, like, like, there's a different, if you're, if you're buying lunch with your money versus you're buying lunch on a credit card from a company, or you're buying lunch for somebody else in the credit card for a company, that's probably going to influence what you have for lunch to some extent. Like, that, that skin of the game does influence things. How do you think we do with taxes here in 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 the good old US of A, Heaton? Uh, okay, so I I am not going to play the card you're probably anticipating, which is I'm not going to play the angry curmudgeonly libertarian card. Yeah, uh, I, I unfortunately which, which, I just. <laughs> Which, by the way, before we get into this, I have we've talked about you know the the business of being in independent media, and, and uh -huh. specifically for you who has built a a brand through Reason and a lot of these other libertarian leaning outlets. Uh, periodically, you will be approached to either do benefits or short films or or, or various different things by libertarian uh, money people who are like, oh, there's money to do it. I now know exactly the moment that they're carving it out of their budget <laughs> to be like, they're looking at their tax bill and they're like, no, you want to know what? 25% of this to propaganda <laughs> to make sure this never happens again every year until it stops. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see that big a thing. Uh, unfortunately, as as the uh, the the hilarious uh, uh, Fred Willard of free market economics that I am, <laughs> I, I don't know really enough about taxes to be a curmudgeon about it the way I am with like you Euclidean zoning ordinances and occupational licensing, which I have a very strong yeah. feeling on. So when it comes to taxes, I get pretty whimsical and esoteric real quick. Um, so, so my, I mean, broadly speaking, my position on taxes, I imagine is that of most of the people listening to the show, which is we want a government. We're arguing about how big we want the government and how active we want the government to be. And in my case, I'd say if you're going to take somebody's money without their consent, you're going to force them to do it. Then the onus is on you to show that there is an overwhelming public need for their money and that the solution you're proposing is going to be efficacious in resolving that need. If you can hit those two bars, I'm on board. So I don't, I don't have a problem with a concept of taxes. I do think that the ways we administer them can probably be pretty screwed up. There's probably a lot of uh, inefficiencies. There's certainly a lot of uh, things that I don't like. Like I, I do get pissed off with um, regressive taxes very much. Like uh, I, between you and me, and all of my best friends here, I don't know that I'm going to bother registering my car in Texas. Uh, and that's nothing against Texas. It's just I know it's bullshit. Uh, it's it's just a way to tax poor people. That's what like, like, with that, that dinky little tag you put on your car is. It's yeah. not that they care if your car is safe or not. We don't in Oklahoma, they don't check your car if it's safe. In Texas, they do. But that's probably just a handout to uh, to automotive companies. They're just doing it because it's easier to tax poor people than rich people. And, and so if you do things that are consumption based, so that stuff irritates me where I get real whimsical, uh, Justin, is mm -hmm. I do think that there would be better ways 
more, both more just and more effective ways to uh, do taxes than our current system. And we came so close, Justin. There was a movement okay. called the Georgists. Are you familiar with them? I'm not familiar with the Georgists. No. Oh, good. So Heaton gets to get into archaic, uh, uh, not pertinent tax history. This is great. Hey, I'm so excited. Uh, uh, listeners, listeners, let me also say that unironically, while he was saying that Heaton was rubbing his hands yep. together as if he were about to have his, his favorite meal. Uh -huh. So uh, I, I learned about the Georges from my friend uh, Dominic Frisbee, who's a comedian and financial analyst in London. Uh, great guy and a really fun guest, by the way. He wrote a book called Daylight Robbery that I interviewed him about on the political orphanage about a year ago now, which is kind of just the history of taxation, which sounds so boring. I recognize that. It's actually fascinating because you think about like the sheer amount of civilization that's been affected by taxes. Like, here's yeah. one. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem because there was a Roman census that they were doing to the entire empire to more effectively tax it. He would have been born in, like, I don't know, Guthrie or Ohio or something <laughs> if it hadn't been sure. for that. Normally, yeah. Uh, or alternately, most of us have surnames. The reason you and I have a last name is because some state, uh, in my case, England, went, we need to figure out how to get these people to pay taxes better, right? Um, so it, it is a fascinating book. He turned me on to the concept of Georgists. And what Georgists wanted to do was Georgists were this kind of interesting... This is my take on it. Georgists sure. are super capitalist from the ground up and kind of Marxist from the ground down. And okay. so, so the way Georgists looked at things was if you build a business on top of a plot of land, we don't want to tax you on that. You, you built that. That's yours. Your labor went into that. Your capital, you accepted the risk for all those things. So like if you have a business that's outperforming the business next door, we don't actually want to um, charge you more than the guy next door because we don't want to penalize you. We don't want to penalize success. Uh, and and uh, we we think that you you deserve to keep the fruit of your labors, right? Conversely, if your plot of land happens to be on an oil field, well, you didn't do anything to build that oil field uh, or, or to, to build oh. the oil underneath it. You, you're, you're not – it's not your cleverness or uh, risk or innovation that is giving you that. You kind of – you either lucked out or you purchased it through some method. But you're, you're not responsible for that oil, right? Or conversely, let's say you're in New York City uh, and you, you buy a business that is um, on the corner of a subway stop. That's going to get a ton of foot traffic. Well, you're you're benefiting from something that society built that you did not build yourself. And and so the the Georgists went. We want to tax people based on the value of the land as opposed to their income, which I think is actually a much more. Uh, sorry, I, I now have a dog. That's fine. Uh, that's fine. Which which I think is a a much more just and efficacious way of of dealing out taxes. Now, if, if we if we had switched to that system and we came kind of close. Uh, I want to say in like the 1880s, even like like Churchill was flirting with it at one point. We came kind of close to it. But the, <clears throat> the benefit would be, I think you would find people that are, to, to quote former President Obama or to to what, what to paraphrase President Obama, the people who didn't build that yeah. would be taxed appropriately for the things that they didn't build. Uh, and, and meanwhile, the things you did build, you're not going to get in trouble for. No one's going to like... Uh, John Lovitz went on a rant about how much he pays in taxes for his comedy club a few years ago. And like people started speculating he was conservative because he was really pissed off. And he was talking about how hard he worked and how many hours he put in and the yeah. government would just come in and take his money. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that that's a fair rant. Uh, but conversely, um, like Oklahoma, where I'm from, 
Um, there's plenty of money in Oklahoma to pay for stuff. Like the 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 actual amount of money coming out of the ground from oil is incredible. And, and yet yeah. we've got like counties that have uh, full time schooling three or four days a week because we can't pay uh, afford to pay the teachers. I'm like, well, why don't we if, if we if we were smart about this, we'd done it from scratch. I would have done a Georgia system and said taxes are going to be paid through land value and we're not going to charge anybody income or bullshit regressive sales taxes and things yeah. like that either. And, and so that way you would be getting the money from people for whom are deriving. Uh, uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Deriving the, the, value the, 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 from the, the land that they are on. And, and so therefore, if you don't own land, you are living a tax free lifestyle. Yeah. If, if you own land that is you're incentivized to own land that is not particularly valuable and create a ground up value on top yeah, of it. Exactly. And I, I think you would find that it would actually be much more beneficial to most people. So, like, for example, one of the criticisms I had that I brought up with with Dominic Frisbee was like, you know, I've got farmer family. This sounds like it would penalize them because you you, you got to have a lot of land for those cows and that alfalfa. Uncle Dan goes out and mows the corn every day. He's, he's got yep. all that land. Uh, well, the thing is, farmland's not valuable, like like compared to like like city land, like. Here in Austin, where you and I live, the, mm -hmm. the land is far more valuable by any metric than it is at farms two counties over, right? Like, like if if so, if you were essaying that the value of that land, uh, you would go, oh, we're going to charge you like five dollars an acre if it's just an alfalfa field. Meanwhile, if you've got you know oil underneath it or something like that, but yes, basically the idea would be you were being taxed on things that. You were benefiting from either by natural splendor that you did not create or by societal uh, societal confluence that you did not create. And that's what you're being taxed on for the privilege of using those things. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that would be better. The other benefit to that system, too, is when you get into it, um, there's a ton of money um, up in wealth, uh, excuse me, up in up in land ownership. Like, yeah, the, the, the person on the planet that has the most land is the Queen of England. She is a ton of land, a ton of land. And then and then you can even make a, a, a distinction beyond that of the crown, as in the institution, is the yeah. biggest real estate holder on Earth. And a lot of the time they're not paying taxes on these things. Uh, the queen's not paying taxes on all of her land. Um, weird. If you were to do this. In, yeah. Weird, huh? If, if you were to set this up now, if, if you switched over to the system, what you'd find is a lot of people that own a ton of land um, that, that are able, like, let's say a lot of these agribusinesses that are getting tons, like millions and millions of dollars from the federal government because they own so much acreage, which is what we pay out uh, farm subsidies on, they now have to go, oh, how much of this land do we actually want and and sell it back and and focus on the things that are economically productive? So I think it would be a, a, a good system. I, so if we ever build can, a moon can, base well, or yeah, you start a new state he, or something, I, I, I don't know I'm, how we I'm get there. I'm immediately now in my head in our alternate universe in which we created a Georgia system of becoming uh -huh. a lobbyist uh, uh, for the, the tax assayers, uh, mm -hmm. for these uh, oil companies in which like mm, I just have to explain yeah. to you now look everybody that's getting clean oil tax them but but <laughs> us we're getting trash oil this is right, very right. bad oil like we we you know so we need a new classification so for trash oil uh because that needs to be taxed less than than old good oil McGee down I, the road. I think you're a hundred percent. That is exactly what happens right now. And there's a brilliant method to countermand that. May I put a thought in your head? Please go ahead. Okay. Ru ru Let ru ruin my day on fantasy K Street. 
Right. <laughs> Anybody that uh, gets off on pretending to be a lobbyist needs a, a, a better hobby. Uh, I, so I, I interviewed another fellow a few months later named Glenn Weil, very smart guy. Um, Glenn Weil has proposed a system of taxation, or I guess a system of um, uh, tax assessment, which is a self-assessed auction tax. Now, this is how this would work. Um we're, we're going to carve out some stuff here. You Like you can't take somebody's house or their car or their personal objects, their clothes and things like mm-hmm. that, right? But when we're talking about commercial property, where we're talking about things that that are obvious money makers, however you want to define that, um, in, in this theoretical example of the oil company that has the oil field and they're going, our oil's very salty. We shouldn't have to pay as much as the other oil field. Rather than having a tax assessor come in and say, we've determined that your land is worth X amount. Those guys say how much their land is worth. They get to pick it. They say okay. uh, we we say it's a million dollars, and there's just a there's a flat rate for everything, right? Like it's I don't know. Let's say twelve percent. You could your mileage could yeah, vary. Yeah, yeah, twelve percent, yeah. right? Here's the deal. You say we we've decided our land's worth a million dollars, and we're going to pay twelve percent. Or you could go. We I, we only think it's worth four hundred thousand dollars. We're going to pay twelve percent, but you have to sell it at that price if a bidder gotcha. comes up to you. So if if you if you want to lowball it and go, we don't want to we don't want to pay that much taxes this year. Let's just say it's worth half a million. And some guy goes, this is easily worth more than half a million. I will gladly pay twelve percent taxes on that for half a million. Comes up, buys it from you. You just lost that money. Uh, and, and so that kind of system, uh, that, I yeah, think, so, would so be in, the, the, in that situation, you're not compelled to sell it, but but you would have to wait the the next year that you yes. would reassess. So you would you would uh, stop yourself from a hot market if one emerged. I, I think you'd have to have some kind of thing in there. I mean, Glenn would say that um, b- because you are you were basically saying this is the, the the price that I'm telling you is the price that I would gladly sell it for. Yeah. Um, that that, it, that it, it would not then matter how often this happened. That if you're an oil company, people keep buying your oil fields, but you're making a profit every time. Congratulations, you just became an oil real estate company. He would say that I from, from where I'm at, it would make sense to me to have like a a six month or year long lag time where. Uh, I yeah. can come up at any time, make this bid and go, hi, I see that you registered. Um, you've, you've got this corn farm that you said is worth, uh, uh, you know, $400,000. Uh, I'm going to purchase this. You now have eight months or I, I, however we do it. And, and the way the way you'd factor this in is, again, you would go, uh, if somebody comes and tries to buy this corn farm from under me, how much am I willing to sell it for where I would not be screwed over and I would have the capital left over to go start something else? Like, So you would build that in. But the result is there's really not a lot of wiggle room for tax evasion under this system because you're saying literally what you think the value of, of the, the land is based on what you'd be willing to part with it on. So you're really not going to lowball it because somebody might come in and, and buy it out from under you and you have no incentive to highball it uh, because you're going to be paying higher taxes. Where I I think that that would actually work, by the way, because this is another like, where the hell is this going to happen? Where where this kind of system would work would be like less pertinent now, but uh, radio bandwidths, which are you know, mm-hmm. effectively something that the government has to allocate. That's the kind of thing we could do this with going like, hey, NPR, you get to have your your bandwidth, but it's an auction system. 
And if Fox wants to come in and do it or whatever, like like because this is effectively a public good, uh, or I, I shouldn't use that. That's a, a weird. Econ- yeah, I, I guess that would apply economically. It's a public good. It's something that's accessible to everybody. Um, you could do that. The other one would be whenever you're uh, privatizing an industry, this would be the kind of thing you could do that with. So like when the Soviet Union collapsed, rather than Yeltsin and Putin just giving it out to their buddies, this would have been a, a more judicious way of allocating those former state resources. Or like, I don't know what... Uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, peace be upon her, did when she privatized all the the coal industries and some of the the train industries in the United Kingdom. I don't know whether she just gave everybody a rebate or whether she uh, auctioned the companies off. But but that to me would seem like a, a time where that would kind of work. Of like now the the British coal company is in this auction system, and if somebody comes up and wants to pay whatever you guys dictate it, they can they can do it, and the ownership can switch. All right, last question here, because we are in this 1099 lifestyle for which we are deducting a bunch of stuff. Uh, Taxes are Byzantine. They're weird. They are uh, uh, you are constantly under threat of uh, a system for which nobody is directly telling you at the point of submission that you've done something wrong. And yet the state reserves the right to come back, comb through not only that year's finances, but previous year's finances Mm -hmm. where where they can they can ask for more money and you have to fight about it. Tax reform as a political issue is one of those strange ones that like infrastructure when you talk to people, it is bipartisan mm-hmm. in its popularity that people are for it. They think mm-hmm. that taxes are too complicated. They want a simpler uh, format to do it. They find it very stressful. They don't like having to pay extra money to pay a shaman to tell them that they are doing things the, <laughs> right? the, the right way. And yet it never happens, uh, mm-hmm. largely because it's not a particular while it's a good bipartisan idea. It very rarely becomes something that is a an exciting thing for for bureaucrats yeah, to right. to cut through, and also the people that are really really into it tend to not be the most popular or charismatic politicians. Yeah, but uh, I, I uh, am a rarity of I'm going to go out on a limb and say I've been engaging with tax ideology, but I'm a rarity in that regard. And hats off to my friend Dominic Frisbee. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 do you think that we will ever get to a point where where our our American tax system is at least simplified? Because every solution that you have given, while mm-hmm. it may or may not be more equitable and where it may or may not be taxing the quote unquote right people, all of your solutions are very simple. You say a thing, that's how much you pay. You you uh, uh, do you own land? Yes. Okay. There's a few more steps. If the answer is no, which is a lot of people, congratulations. You don't pay taxes. Like uh, all of these things are 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 designed to simplify. Uh, do you think we will ever see that here? No. I think the only situation where I could really see that happening is if you have like a total game changer where like Bitcoin becomes the international reserve currency and like to some extent taxation is actually voluntary because people are just getting their money in Bitcoin and not really something like that. Then I could see the government going, all right, we got to be more simple here if we're actually going to make any money. Uh, but no, I don't think so. I, I think for two reasons. One, um, the, the biggest one, let's say 80 percent of this is I, I would assume there's a very strong 
strong TurboTax lobby or some equivalent of of accountants that want to keep it Byzantine in order to create work yes. for themselves. Uh, my my guess would be that is the case. Um, uh, Scott Adams coined the term confusopoly a few years ago, which is when an industry becomes in, intentionally obtuse in order to uh, create jobs. Dissuade, yeah, in order to create jobs and dissuade competition. Um, but then, but then on top of that, now that I've been a 1099 guy that's self-employed, I now understand that this isn't the kind of thing that you could just automatically do. So like when I go over in the UK, my British friends like laugh at us because we have to fill out our own taxes. My British friends yes. don't do that. They like, they just, their boss just tells them you paid this much in taxes this year. I, I don't even know if they mail it in. They just, they're, they're informed. Right. And I'm like, that sounds great. But like, think about if, if you actually run a business, like you, like somebody has to determine what is a legitimate business expense or not. So, so like, for example, yeah. Um, I, I've purchased this equipment that I'm talking to you on. Well, that's a, clearly a legitimate business expense. I need to be able to write that off. We are, Somebody we are has businessing to be right that. now. This we are is businessing business. right now. Yeah. Uh, but conversely, like, um, what about clubs? Like if, if I joined the Friars Club, that's a couple thousand dollars a year. It's a bunch of comedians. That seems like it's good networking. All right. Well, what if I go to the country club? Because that seems that now well, that now sounds like you're just giving me a tax, uh, a tax exemption to hang out with other rich people that I was going to do anyway. Right. So like that kind of thing is always going to come up of, of you know, that, that gray area. And for that reason, I don't think it's ever going to completely be simplified unless we adopt a Georgist land value system. I, I will say that the last time I talked about this, and it just came back to me while we were speaking, uh, internationally was made fun of roundly, including New Zealand, where people were sending me their international tax returns to show me it is one page front, not even front and back, <laughs> just front. Right. But a lot of it comes from government involvement in the banks, which is something that mm. I think Americans would would very much push up against uh, because, you know, we don't we don't want. Uh, any any anybody poking around where they don't necessarily need to be. I, I what's what's the there's the automatic deduction you can do. I can't remember what that's set at now. Um, like we're, we're like your automatic money back thing that everybody gets the option of. It's like six thousand dollars or whatever it is. Like for for if you're if you're those folks where you're in a W two, that would make sense to me. I would want that simplified yeah. thing. For for me as an independent business owner, um, I would prefer to continue writing off my microphone and all the books I buy and all that yep. stuff. And every time that we go to lunch and uh, yeah, every time uh, we go to lunch and discuss business as we do, which I mean, to be fair, we don't have lives outside of our work. So that's 90 percent of what we talk about. Happen to interview a lot of the waitresses over at Smokey Joe's dance poll. That could be related <laughs> to my business. Uh, and uh, uh, you, you earn it, tax man. You earn and it. And I'm paid in cash when I dance at Smokey Joe's dance poll. So maybe I don't report that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Heaton, the political orphanage, having ourselves a cathartic tax day chat. Thank you so much, man. You are so welcome. And for anybody that wants to check them out, uh, Google the political orphanage and Dominic Frisbee or Glenn Weil, and you could hear extended tax episodes about these subjects. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Justin. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. This show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to thank Andrew Heaton for coming on the show, head on over to px3guest.com. Letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. And, of course, you can always send us an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, px3tweets. I'm live on Twitch at px3live.com every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, Central Time. And you can share this podcast with your friends and family, px3podcast.com. 
Our merch can be found at politicsmerch.com. If you'd like to support us with a one-time donation, you can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. And our cash app is px3cash. If you'd like to send me anything in the mail, gifts, perishables, fiat currency, do so at P.O. Box 153184. Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. If you want exclusive content, the only place you can go is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And... The $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. By the way, go to your email right now. This is the last time we're going to read these nicknames. New nicknames are already coming in, but I want to give you guys a full a full couple days to answer your email, a full weekend to answer your email. Make sure you get your new nicknames in there uh, in here if you are part of the $10 tier. They, for the last time possibly, will read as follows. Persons familiar with the matter, Andres, on safe DB levels, Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie McNeemeister, Dr. G, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicetti, 70s TV salesman of Spy. D, really? And Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc Edison, no mention on the podcast. Please, .com, Junkie, DP4, Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Berkeley, Steven, Diana, Silent Slumbers, Katie, Adam L, Double K Ranch, Yield Pinball Shop, John, The Opposable Thumbs for Dogs Foundation, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Matt, Miranda, Janelle, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D Laser, Just Another Pilot, my boy, Middle Age Mike, The Gen, J Pink, and Andrew. You want your name read alongside them? Well, just head on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Uh, heading out to Ohio next week. We will also have an interview with the cosmic Kevin Ryan, uh, who, you know, he's a busy man. He's got a lot on his plate. He's got a new kid on the way. He doesn't write as often as I want him to write. I want him to write constantly. But he wrote an essay about the concept of community, spirituality, just a lot that, that blew my mind. I love his writing. We're going to talk. I, I know some of you guys, you, you, you rejoice when, when Kevin and I get going, I, I feel like you're going to really like this one. Cause this one is, is very spacey and um, I'm in love with it till then. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young saying, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.